Hey, welcome everybody to Sunday night, and uh, here it is. It is the 21st of November, and uh, we are coming up on Thanksgiving, and my hope is that y'all are going to be super blessed uh, for this Thanksgiving. Um, if you're not from America, you're probably not celebrating Thanksgiving since it's an America thing. So for Americans, it would be, I just want to encourage you, especially as we look at different things going on with our government and uh, the challenges here. Uh, but I want to welcome everybody throughout the world. I know we have a lot of people that watch over in Australia and Canada and um, literally all over Europe. Uh, we even have people from Russia and people from uh, obviously over in the Mideast watching over in Israel, South America. And uh, listen, I'll, I'll tell you this much, what, how neat it is in the family of God to be able to uh, have a time like this focus on what the Bible says and uh, look at the prophecies. And today we're going to be continuing with the minor prophets. Remember, minor prophets, major events. We started last uh, Sunday night with the prophet Hosea. So we've already been through Joel. I didn't do them in order. I, I know that. Uh, we already did the book of Joel. Uh, now we've started with the book of Hosea. And uh, so we, this is the message that we're looking at tonight uh, with Hosea chapter 1, or excuse me, Hosea chapter 2. It is this. It is what is going on with Israel. Um, I'll tell you what's it's very interesting as we look at the world right now, isn't it, regarding Israel. So we look at Israel. Uh, we have lots lockdowns. Um, like other parts of the world, Israel seems to be a little bit more extreme than some other nations. Uh, there's some uh, pretty substantial travel restrictions uh, regarding Israel. I haven't been to Israel since October of 2019. I miss Israel. It's the uh, land of the Lord, and uh, I miss going there. I have a lot of friends over in Israel. Anybody that's watching over in Israel right now, God bless you guys. Uh, but we're going to look at what is going on with Israel uh, tonight. Uh, so we have the lockdowns. We have really re, uh, strict travel restrictions in Israel. And then also, what else does Israel have? They have the threat of battles that come from Hezbollah and Hamas. Uh, we have the, the whole Palestinian cause. They got a battle with the UN all the time. They have their new prime minister, Bennett. Um, they, now they got to deal with the Biden administration, which is most unpleasant. So you have all of that going on. Uh, and then you look at the threats of massive war. And Israel has just been uh, in a war drill uh, recently up in the northern part of Israel. So you look at that. Now they have the threat of a massive war. 2,000 rockets a day coming from Hezbollah. We have uh, Iran threatened through Hezbollah, through Hamas, and through Iran itself. You have the problems with Syria. So you look at Israel, it, it, they're locked down. In a sense, they're isolated right now because of uh, the COVID pandemic and all of the, the decisions of leaders of the world. So they're isolated. It's a tiny country. And at the same time, they are threatened. So what in the world is going on? Uh, what is God doing with Israel? I believe this. I believe God is about ready to do something absolutely remarkable with Israel. And we get some insight from what's going on with Israel from, believe it or not, uh, the prophet Hosea. And uh, we're going to see Israel currently. We're going to see Israel past current. And then uh, in the future, um, because I seriously look at things and I believe that in, my, in the words of my friend uh, Don Perkins, God is moving the world to the, to the end of the story. And when you look at Israel, definitely moving Israel to the end of the story. 
and Jerusalem is the epicenter. It's the bullseye. Uh, people ask me all the time, why do you talk about Israel? Well, when you talk about Bible prophecy, you've got to talk about Israel because that's where everything comes together. Everything centers around the nation of Israel geographically and even politically when it comes to the last days, even Antichrist. Uh, he's going to locate himself at the temple in Jerusalem. That day is coming. So when you look at it and you know, let, wait a minute, the Messiah is coming again. As I would say, he's coming back. Uh, you look at everything. Israel, and especially Jerusalem, is the epicenter. And by the way, I'm just saying this. I've been to many different cities in the world, many different nations in the world pre-COVID. And uh, Jerusalem is the greatest city on the planet. I mean, it is, it is just awesome. I miss it. And I miss you guys that are over in Israel, my friends over there. So uh, God is getting ready to do something absolutely remarkable. And, and um, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. Uh, but let's think of this through the prophet Hosea. So as we began with Hosea last week, I remember God commanded him to marry this woman who was a harlot, a, a prostitute, and he had three different children. Two of them we know uh, were not from him, where God said uh, he was to give uh, the two of the children, uh, two names specifically, one of them is no mercy. One of them, the other one was not my people, uh, the names he gave them. Uh, the first child may have been his, but God was making it clear. Um, Hosea, your wife's unfaithful and she's unfaithful to you and she has children that are, that are not of you. And he was using Hosea and his relationship with his wife, this prostitute, to describe what Israel had done to him. They had prostituted, uh, Israel prostituted itself with these other foreign gods. Uh, it's projected back into the 700s BC. Um, and you have the different contemporaries and during the times of uh, during the time of Hosea, but Hosea was prophesying just before the Assyrian invasion. Warning, you guys have done this. God is going to judge you. You prostituted yourself spiritually, and this is why the judgment is coming. So you might recall this map that I showed you from last time. And uh, Hosea was prophesying to the northern kingdom, as you can see. Uh, Jeroboam uh, was the first king, Jeroboam the first. Uh, he's the one that uh, took the ten tribes north. He built the temple at the area of Dan, which is up in the Golan Heights. And uh, so, so you had the divided kingdom, Israel to the north, the 10 tribes, Judah to the south, the two tribes during the time of Rehoboam. So that was sometime before uh, Hosea came on the scene, but Israel to the north never had a good king. And now by the time Hosea is prophesying, the northern kingdoms are about ready to be judged by the Assyrians. So the first thing that we come to, number one, it is the problem when we look at this it's the problem so what's the problem hosea chapter 2 let's begin in verse 2 uh, looking at this verse 2 says god says uh, to um, to israel through the prophet hosea he says this listen to these words interesting bring charges against your mother bring charges well wait a minute what's going on here he's now bringing the children of hosea into the argument that he has against the nation of Israel that had departed from him. So he's saying to the children of Hosea, tell your children their mother has prostituted herself. So bring charges against your mother, bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Again, 
His wife is a picture of the nation of Israel. So you have this illustration, Hosea's real life and illustration of Israel. Where's all this going? Let's see. Let her put away her harlotries from her. In other words, your wife is a prostitute. She needs to repent. She needs to turn from that. And her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day that she was born and make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry. Uh, this is pretty radical uh, when you look at it. In fact, it kind of sounds like um, Hosea has abandoned his own children, as God says here in, in verse 4, at the end of verse 4, I will not have mercy on her children. Uh, they're done. Because again, a real life illustration, the life of Hosea, uh, comparing it with the nation of Israel. But that's not the case. We can tell that it appears that by this time, Hosea's children are older. Remember last time in chapter one, they're born. By this time, they're old enough to recognize their mom is unfaithful to their dad. They're old enough to recognize that their, their mom and dad have a bad marriage. Remember, this is the prophet Hosea. He's got his wife cheating on him. And the children are, are in, in verse two, God says, bring charges against your mother. So it appears they're old enough now to say something to your mom. Hey, you're cheating on dad. This is absolutely wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. So it might seem that uh, kind of like Hosea has abandoned his kids because they were part of this adulterous relationship. Not so. Uh, Hosea never abandoned them. Get this. And we're going to see that in the later chapters, not tonight. But get this. God never abandons us. And by the way, just for the record, he's going to bless Israel. Even though we have this whole illustration and we, we see things right now. God is about ready to bless Israel. John Phillips writes, It appears that Hosea wrapped his unfortunate children in the arms of his love. It was not fault of theirs that their mother had become a woman of the streets. Uh, so we have this opening up. Hosea doesn't forsake his children. They've got a, him, uh, him and his wife have a very bad marriage. His children are old enough to recognize that they have a very bad marriage. It's also interesting in verse 2, it says, let her put her away her harlotries uh, from her sight. In other words, uh, she needs to repent. Again, this is a message from God to the nation of Israel. So you got to wrap it in that. He, God is saying you need to repent. If not, verses 3 and 4, God says, I will expose her and she will be in the wilderness and he will refuse Israel mercy. So using Hosea's wife as real life illustration. Okay, so number one is the problem. We're going to get to the blessing here in a minute. Uh, number two, it is the pain. Again, when you look at this, it's Israel's history. So the problem and the pain. God is saying, I'm going to judge you. You need to turn. You need to repent. Israel is unwilling to do it. What happens? Assyria will come and destroy them. Uh, verse 5 says this, For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give my bread uh, and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. They're the ones who give me, excuse me, my bread and my water. Uh, it's my lovers who give me these things. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns 
and wall her in. This is God speaking again to Israel. Now the whole shift is here. So that she cannot find her path. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then it was better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. I mean, you look at this. This is remarkable. So again, God's saying, listen, Israel, you've committed adultery on me. You have claimed that your other lovers, in this case, he's saying, the other gods that you follow, these other gods are the ones that have blessed you. These other gods haven't blessed you. They're the ones who gave you your wool, your grain, your wine, and all these things. No, I gave them, but you are crediting them with giving you those things. I gave them to you, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hedge you up with thorns. And, and you're going to try to go over here. You're not going to be able to. You're going to try and find your satisfaction in all these other things. Spiritually, you're never going to find it in there. In fact, I'm going to make it a little bit painful on you. I'm going to hedge you up with thorns. Listen, you know what this is, being hedged up with thorns? Think of it like this. You're walking down a path and you got all these rose bushes and bougainvilleas and things like that. All these thorns are sticking out. You try to turn, ouch. You try to turn, ouch, everywhere you go. And God says, I've done this to Israel. You're going to try and get away from me. Um, but uh, let me tell you, you're not going to be able to get completely away from me. Listen, praise God that he hedges us up with thorns too. You ever notice that? Sometimes as a believer, you start saying, I think I'm going to go over here, a place you're not supposed to go. And God has hedged up our life with thorns. Listen, if, um, if your life is not hedged up with thorns and you're just doing whatever you please, you better be a little bit concerned about that. But basically, God is saying, I'm going to keep you on this path. But ultimately, he also says this, uh, the, the, the time will come using Hosea's wife. Her name's Gomer. St. Gomer's eventually going to come and say, these other lovers, it's not working out. It turned out to be a really bad thing for me chasing them. I'm going to go back to my first husband. What he's saying is this is what's going to happen with Israel. They're, they're going to be in pain. Israel has been in pain for a long time. The Jews have suffered tremendously, but he's saying the day is going to come where they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to return to the Lord. I'm going to go back to the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, uh, the one who has given us life. He's saying that day is going to come. And again, he's using this prophet Hosea, his real life illustration with his wife and his children to show us this. Uh, I'm going to return to the Lord. Okay, so we have the problem. We have the pain. Note next, we have the punishment. Uh, verses 9 through 13. Uh, verse 9, therefore I will return and uh, take away my grain in its time, says the Lord, and my new wine in its season, and will take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. In other words, you think these other gods are the ones that blessed you? I'm taking away everything. You ever notice how God does that? When you start to, if you start to walk away from him, all of a sudden you start to realize, wow, I don't have money to pay my rent anymore. Wow, I'm kind of a little bit light on having money to buy groceries this month. I'm kind of a little bit, wow, why aren't things working out for me anymore? They used to work out for me. Listen, when we, when we don't turn to God for our help, when we don't credit God with the one who has blessed us, listen, God is the one who blesses us. 
Uh, he's the one who takes care of us. And we need to remember that. In fact, James wrote in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the Father of lights. And, and, and then here in Hosea, it's remembering that God is the one who gives us our gifts. He's the one that blesses us. Do not forget that. When you forget that, and you start to credit your own ingenuity. Well, I brought on my, I brought on, the, I, I'm absolutely, well, I'm smarter than everybody else. Well, I'm just better at this. And we forget it is God's grace. Listen, I look at my life. My life is a real illustration of God's grace. I think the only reason why God put me in this position is because he knew, he, he knew I wasn't really capable of doing much of anything. So he put me in this position and said, okay, now I'm going to put my word into your heart and your lips, and you're going to be able to say what I, what I tell you to say, because quite frankly, you're not talented enough to do anything else. So I'm going to make you a, uh, uh, I'm going to make you a preacher preaching my, my word. But in all seriousness, it's God's grace. Uh, Hosea continued, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. This is God saying to Israel, I will also cause her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. He's saying, I'm going to cause it to happen for Israel. I'm going to end it all. Judgment is coming. In this case, it was this judgment coming upon uh, Israel from Assyria. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees of which she has said, these are my wages that my lovers have given me. So again, it's the credit. Uh, it's Israel giving credit to other gods, to their own ingenuity, to their neighbors over here, to these people over here. Listen, understand every good gift and every perfect gift comes from our Father above. And you might say, well, this person gave me this. Listen, God put it on that person's heart to give you that. Um, I remember when I finally, after I got saved, I, I, God had blessed me with a job and because um, nobody was going to hire me if you knew that I was kind of a mess. And I, I praise God for the job that he gave me. As many years ago, over 30, uh, 30 gosh, it's, uh, wow, it was a long time ago, um, 30, 35 years ago. And um, I needed a, a real job. I needed a real career. And I, you know, I looked at my life. I didn't really have anything uh, to move forward with. I was 28 years old and I went and applied for a job. And the only people they were taking were people who had a, a bachelor's degree. In some cases, they would take people who had an associate's degree with a college. They're looking for people with bachelor's degrees and even master's degree. I went in and applied for the job. I had long hair. Everybody, you had to be clean cut also. I was not. I applied for the job and I, the boss that, that I ended up talking to, he says, well, what, where did you get your uh, degree from? I, I don't have a degree. And we started talking. I came from the school of hard knocks. That's all I have. Well, eventually he hired me, same guy. He said, by the way, you got to get a haircut. He hired me a few weeks later, I think it was, called me, got a haircut. I started at the lowest position possible within the company. All I did was press a button. But God, God was so good to me. I just pressed a button, got minimum wage, and God was so good to me. And uh, he moved, ended up moving me up in the corporation. I ended up having favor with uh, bosses and other people. And, and that's just, it was God's grace. And to ever take these things for credit, or even what I do now, uh, my credit, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, sometimes my elevator doesn't reach the top floor, but God does remarkable things. And we need to remember it is God who has done this. Israel forgot that. Israel forgot what God had done. And God says, um, listen, 
Uh, I will punish her for the days of the bowels, the false gods to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry. She went after her lovers, but she forgot, but me she forgot, says the Lord. She went after all these other things, uh, money and sex and all this other stuff. Uh, they were worshiping the, pagan, the, the gods of the pagan cultures around them. They brought that stuff into the temple and they said, hey, God is good uh, with all of these things. However, you see all of that. God says, I'm going to judge. But then after the judgment, after the punishment, so you have, you have the problem, you have the pain, you have the punishment, but check out what happens next. You have the pardon. Now, we're going to see because this is really good. Now it turns awesome. Check this out. We have the pardon. Therefore, verse 14, behold, God says, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. So remember the context is Hosea with his relationship with this unfaithful wife and they have these children, but God's saying to Hosea, you're going to eventually allure allure your wife back. That's what you're going to do. But I want you to know, Israel, I'm going to allure you back to me. Notice God doesn't say, I'm going to beat you back to me. God says, I am going to allure you back to me. This is fascinating. I want to show you that in just a second, how that works out. But, but, but let's stop here and think about this, all right? So let's look at Israel's history. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, when you think of Israel, you have the passage of the blessings and cursings. And to Israel, he says in chapter 28, he says, this is what I'm going to do if you obey me. He says, it will come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, then this is what's going to happen. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your needy bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. Wow, this is great. Listen, don't forget this, folks. God says, you, you obey me. You just do what I'm supposed to. I'm going to bless your socks off. All these blessings God promised to Israel. But then he says this. Again, this is the book of Deuteronomy. So this is about the time the law is being laid down. So you have the blessings if you obey me. But then he says this. However, if you disobey me, ah, the opposite. This is what's going to happen. All these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city. Cursed you shall be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land and the increase of your cattle and offspring of your flocks. They shall all be cursed. Cursed shall you be when you go in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. Your sons and daughters shall be given to another people. That happened. Hosea prophesies. The nation of Israel, the northern ten tribes, did not repent. What happens is Syria comes in, and that's exactly what happened. Their sons and daughters were given over to another people. Uh, think of it like this. Um, at the time of Jesus, you have, uh, remember the Samaritans? He meets the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, John chapter 4. 
And uh, she even says, well, I thought Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans were the half-breeds. And this is where division was with the Jews who were in Judea and the half-breeds who were in the area of Samaria. This is what took place. When the Assyrians came into the northern territory, again, the time that Hosea is prophesying about and two, when they came in, they ended up with mixed marriages with the Jews. The Jews were scattered. Their sons and daughters were given away. But the ones that remained had mixed marriages, right? When the Babylonians came and destroyed uh, Judah and Jerusalem um, century, century and a half later, uh, they didn't get into the mixed marriage thing. So the Jews who came back from Babylon to Judea and Jerusalem, they said, look, man, we're not mixed. You Samaritans, you're mixed. You're like half-breed Jews. You're mixed with all these other people. Hence, you ended up having this prejudice between the two. But then you see this here, you read this happened just like God said it would. I'll bless you if you're obedient, but you're going to be cursed. And part of your cursing is going to be exactly uh, what Hosea was warning them about and exactly what Deuteronomy says. And, and then the Bible says, The Lord will bring you and the king whom set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all the nations wherever the Lord will drive you. In other words, the Lord's going to do it. So the Lord did that in Assyria. Also, by the way, the Lord did do it in Babylon. Um, when uh, the Jews were taking captivity, he drove them. Now, it's interesting. He says, everywhere you go, you're going to be a byword. You're going to be an astonishment. You look at what's happened to the Jews throughout the centuries, throughout the history of the Jewish race. There has been anti-Semitism, and it's there. And God says, you've become a byword everywhere that you have gone. Um, uh, but you want to know what? This is something else. He says here in Hosea, I'm going to pardon you. And even you find it out in various places in the Old Testament. You also find it out in the New Testament that God says, not only am I going to pardon you, I am going to bring you back. Listen, when I look at the state of Israel today, again, you got lockdowns, you have travel restrictions. Okay, you have those two things. Israel is really isolated if you look at it. You have all their weird government things that are happening, not as weird there as they're happening here in the government of the United States. Um, you look over Australia, weird stuff going there. Canada, weird, weird stuff going all over. But nevertheless, Israel's isolated. Okay. Threats of war from the terror groups. Threats of war from Iran. Uh, Russia is now playing king over there. Uh, he's, he's, he's a guard. Russia is a guard for all the nations that are over there, all the peoples that are over there, and even trying to work out some type of good relationship with the nation of Israel. Interesting world. We are getting to this place where this whole pardon of Israel is about ready to come to pass. God is going to bless Israel. Listen, God's goal is not condemnation. It's never condemnation. God's goal is restoration. Even in the New Testament with Jesus, he did not come into this world to condemn the world, he said of himself, but he came into this world that the world might be saved. God isn't, doesn't want to condemn. Neither does he want to condemn Israel. He wants to restore Israel and praise God for that because of God's faithfulness in his word. We can trust him to restore Israel. Guess what? If, if, if we can trust him to restore Israel, we can trust him to restore anyone who would come to him. And if we can trust God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to Israel forever, it's a forever covenant, Wow, then we can trust him to keep his covenant with his son. God's not a liar. 
God promised he would do this. And you find it right here in the book of Hosea. Most people don't even see it in the book of Hosea. But this is part of that covenant uh, deal that God has with the nation of Israel. So he will pardon them. Look at this. Uh, God says in Zechariah chapter 12, Verse 10, I will pour on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look upon me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. That is absolutely awesome. Uh, people that teach replacement theology say God is done with the nation of Israel. God is not done with Israel. Uh, the Apostle Paul answers that in the New Testament. In fact, look at this, Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 1 and 2. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. Notice that with an exclamation mark. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has, has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. This is a praise report. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Um, and notice in verse 14 again, it says, God says, I will allure Israel. Did you see that? I will allure her back to me. God didn't say, I'm going to beat Israel back to me. I will allure Israel back to me. I'm going to win them back to me. They're going to fall in love with me. That's what's going to happen. I love that word. Charles Spurgeon says of this, this is a singular kind of power. I will allure her. Not I will drive her or I will draw her or I will drag her or I will force her. No, I will allure her. It is a very remarkable word, writes Spurgeon, and it teaches us that the allurement of love surpasses in power all other forces. Praise the Lord. With loving kindness, he draws us to himself. Okay, uh, number one, we have the problem. Number two, the pain. Number three, the punishment. Number four, the pardon. Number five, look at this. We have the promise. This is awesome. This is awesome what God is doing with the nation of Israel. Listen, how much longer before this happens? We can, listen, look at these five things. Can you, can you guys put these five points back up here? Look at these. You can look at Israel's history, present, and future just with those five things and also with the, the uh, next one. We're almost done. We only have two more or one more. So we have the problem, the pain, the punishment, the pardon, the promise. This is Israel's history, Israel's present, Israel's future. This is so cool when, when, when I look at this. Verse 15, okay. <clears throat> I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor is a door of hope. Notice verse 15, a door of hope. You can see what God's doing. He's alluring. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of Baals and uh, they shall be remembered by their name no more. In other words, Israel's no longer going to worship these false gods not going to happen. This is so cool. In that day, I will make a covenant uh, for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and with the creeping things of the ground, the bow and the sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever, says the Lord. This is so cool. This is talking about the restoration of Israel when Jesus returns too. It's just all of this. And we see Israel in this process right now. I will be 
betrothed you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. This, this to me is awesome because we can see this process. Again, when I look at Israel right now, isolated. Okay, you start looking at it, right? Israel being gathered back together in the land. We're going to get there in just a second. Now isolated. God is getting ready to do something. This is. Did you know that when you look at the seven-year tribulation period, we call it, it's known as the 70th week of Daniel. Did you know it also happens to be uh, the time period that God uses to bring Israel back to her? That's what he's doing. He's waking up a nation and he's, he's uh, shaking up the world. And so the world is going to go through this massive judgment. But in this, he is luring, he's drawing Israel back to her. It's understanding uh, what is really going on. In it, you have all of these signs and these different things that take place regarding the tribulation period. Some of them are absolutely awful. But God ultimately is drawing Israel to himself through all of it. Uh, but notice here in uh, uh, verses, the verses that we just read, you have hope. In verse 15, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 26, the valley of Achor was the place of trouble. It was the place where Achan's sin was uh, discovered and Achan's sin was judged. Remember that? That's from Joshua chapter 7. But with God, the valley of, uh, he, he will turn the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble into, says here, verse 15, it will become a door of hope. That's what God does with you and me. We have trouble. We have despair. We have discouragement. God says, let me turn it into hope because that's the kind of God I am. Uh, we have hope. Uh, notice here we also have grace in verses 16 through 20. No longer will you call me master, but you will call me husband. No longer master. Now it says, you're, you're, you're mine. Uh, you, you look at me as if I'm some God in heaven that's so mean and so restricting. Isn't that the way we often look at God? He, oh, he's all got all these rules. You got to obey and all this kind of stuff. No longer are you going to call me master. You're going to call me husband. You're going to say, oh, Lord, I love you. Can you imagine that? With the nation of Israel, that day is coming. It is coming. And I believe it is coming soon. And then, so we have hope, mercy, hope, grace. And we also have mercy in verses 21 through uh, twenty. Uh, to look at this, or 23, I, I, it shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, uh, with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Uh, this is so cool. Um, I, I look at this. This is definitely the millennial kingdom. New wine, new oil, new grain. The earth is going to answer. The millennial kingdom remarkable the time when the Mideast and Israel are like the Garden of Eden going to be restored, where the wolf lays down with the lamb. Mm, going to be absolutely fantastic. They shall answer Jezreel. Remember, Jezreel was one of his children's name. Uh, Jezreel means, um, um, I forgot, I forgot what Jezreel means. Oh, it means scattered, and it means brought back. It, it carries both of those ideas, uh, the scattering, but also the bringing back. As, so Jezreel is very uh, significant to the nation of Israel. You will be scattered. You have been scattered, but I will bring you back. In those verse 23, then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those 
who are not my people. You are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. This is great. Remember when Hosea named his children, chapter 1, Lo Rumah, meaning no mercy, and uh, Lo Emi, meaning not my people. Now he says, I will give you mercy, and, and, and you are my people. Just reversing the whole thing. Wow, I, I, I just love this. God will fulfill his promises to his people, to Israel and to anyone who will turn to him. In 1 John chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 24, the Bible says, and this is the promise that he has promised us. It is eternal life. There is eternal life to anyone who will come and surrender their life over to the Lord. Listen, uh, but we have this promise to Israel. We have this promise to us. Listen, I, I want to say this before we conclude here is... With all the people out there saying God's done with Israel, listen, the Bible's very clear. All, all, I mean, even in the book of Hosea, right? <laughs> but you find Old Testament, New Testament, God's not done with Israel. And I hear church people say, God's done with Israel. Listen, God has a covenant with Israel. It's an unconditional covenant. He gave, he gave Israel. Uh, through, uh, he, he made the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his descendants forever. <clears throat> we have the land covenant, excuse me. <clears throat> We have the land covenant, but you also have the messianic covenant, the Davidic covenant that, that comes from Israel. And these covenants are unconditional. If you can't trust God's covenant, his unconditional covenant with Israel, then how can you trust God with any unconditional covenant? God made a covenant with the son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, I trust God. God's not done with Israel. And uh, because he's not done it with Israel, I know that I can trust him for myself too. Well, you might be sitting here and say, well, what do you mean it's not a, a, it's an unconditional covenant? You already read that passage in Deuteronomy where God says, I'll curse those who, or, or where in Deuteronomy where God says, I'll bless you if you're obedient, but, I'll, uh, but um, I'll curse you if you're disobedient. Well, what was that? It wasn't permanent. God says, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be removed from the land. That's what's going to happen. You will be removed from the land. And you know something, folks? That has happened with the nation of Israel. But the covenant is, I will bring you back. Look at the very final thing, the final thing here. What is it? It is the process. What is the process? Notice again, the end of chapter one, just read it. Israel is going to be restored. Now, listen, not just restored, Israel is going to be absolutely fully restored. Um, check out this, uh, this, um, this map here, all right? I showed you this map last week. This is Israel as it exists now. You see the three areas in the um, kind of purplish color uh, that has a little arrow pointing to them. So you have the West Bank, you have Gaza, and you have the Golan Heights. So those are the areas that the UN and those who hate Israel say, well, this is occupied territory. Israel has no right to the land. So you look at that, you go, the whole map, you know, that's all Israel has, right? Listen, the day is coming when Israel is going to have all of their territory. This is what God promises. I, I, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, uh, I'm going to give you the land. Genesis uh, chapter 15, the north. Deuteronomy 11, Ezekiel 47, Joshua chapter 1, the north. I'm going to give you the land to the south, Exodus chapter 23, Ezekiel 47, Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to give you the land to the east, Numbers 34, Ezekiel chapter 47. Give you the land to the west, Numbers 34, Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, listen, 
In fact, I don't know if you can see this. I'm going to hold this up for you. These are my notes. Check it out. Do a screenshot of this right now because if you can, if check it out, do a screenshot of that if you can because that is all the scripture references. See them, they are right here. North, south, east, west. Those are the scripture references of the promises that God made in his word to give Israel the land. God, listen, God keeps his promises. So you get a picture. If you guys can go back to that last picture of Israel just for a second. Okay, that's the picture of Israel today with the areas that people say are the occupied territory. Absolutely foolishness. Uh, but God says, no, no, no. Here's actual Israel's land. Look at that. See the little tiny brown area? That's the Israel of today. God says, no, no, no. Look at that outlined in the red. That is all the land that God has promised to Israel. Uh, listen, I, I look at all of this and I think this is absolutely uh, fantastic. Um, the most land Israel ever had was under the time of Solomon, and it is not anywhere near the amount of land that I just showed you in that last uh, map. Uh, Solomon never possessed all that land. Uh, think of this. Uh, um, this is what Zechariah says in Zechariah chapter 12. Many of you know this passage. But when it comes to the last days, God says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding people. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against Jerusalem. Uh, so you look at this and you think, okay, this is kind of, I mean, you look at where we are right now, it's only going to increase. You look at the current Biden administration. You talk about an administration that is anti-Israel. It is only increasing in the anti-Semitic and, and anti-Zion uh, views that are coming out of Washington, D.C. It's absolutely horrific to see what is happening. Uh, it's not just an abandonment of Israel, but it appears what's happening is a cursing of Israel. Uh, it, it, it frightens me. It should frighten anybody who has a leader in their nation that is cursing Israel because God says in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless those who bless thee, but I'll curse those who curse thee. And it appears right now, the United States of America is cursing Israel and many nations are. And you look at the events of the current world, it looks like we are all being cut into people, into pieces, just like God says in Zechariah chapter 12, uh, the things that he will do to those who come against the nation of Israel. Nevertheless, you look at the nation of Israel, God promises in that day he will bring back his people. In Isaiah chapter 11, God says, I will bring you back a second time. What's that a reference to? Well, Abraham came out, he was called out of the land of Chaldees. He comes out of the land of Chaldees and he comes to the land of Canaan and God is going to establish the people through Abraham. And um he never has the nation of Israel. He's told, look as far as you can see and so forth and all that. But the nation was never established. And then, you know, the whole uh, foul up that happened with Joseph. Uh, as you walk through the history of the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has his 12 sons. Joseph is hated by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's, he ends up in Egypt. And uh, there's going to be a famine in the land. God gives him the, the vision, of the understanding of, of dreams and so forth. And he's able to say, hey, we need 
need to provide. We need to store up food, enough food for seven years. Joseph stores up a whole bunch of food. Uh, his brothers end up coming over to Egypt. Joseph is now the number two man in Egypt. His brothers come over to Egypt. They meet with Joseph. Joseph says, you meant it for evil. You sold me years ago into slavery, but God meant it for good. And Joseph had stored up the food for Pharaoh and all of Egypt that was able to, Genesis chapter 50, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, but God meant it to save many people. Through Joseph's maneuvering, God has saved the nation of Israel. So his Jewish brothers were able to come and get the food that they needed through the time of the famine. But also, ultimately, the nation of Israel needed to be saved because the Messiah was going to come through them. Okay, so you have that. They're living in Egypt. But then finally, it comes to a place. You have the Exodus during the time of Moses. And what happens during the time of Moses? They end up fleeing. They cross over the Red Sea. And uh, they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You come through the time of Joshua. Joshua crosses the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And hence, they're there. And then the nation of Israel starts to go through its birthing process. You go through the time of Judges. Then you go through the time of the Kings. And when you get to Hosea, you're at the time of the Kings when the kingdom is split, the northern to the top, the southern to the bottom. And then uh, the nation of Israel and Judah are judged, the Assyrians and Babylonians, and they are dispersed. The, the Jews are taken to Babylon. Then they're ba brought back the first time from captivity. Then what happens? Come along the Romans, 70 AD, the Jews are dispersed again for a second time. And then in 1948, we have the official marking of the date of the regathering of the Jews a second time into the land of Israel. Of course, uh, the, the uh, Zion movement that started through Theodore Herzl and others years before that. But nevertheless, Isaiah says, I will bring you back a second time. Israel has been brought back a second time. God promises it's going to happen that way. Right now, we watch it appear to me, Israel is being isolated. God says in Ezekiel chapter 36, I'm going to bring you back, Israel, not because you're more wonderful than everybody else, but because I have a covenant with you. I have made a deal with you, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this covenant is a forever covenant. Because my name is on the covenant, I'm going to do it. Folks, I believe we are watching this take place right now. We are watching, uh, we, are, we are winding down to the end. Israel's been brought back a second time. Israel is now being isolated. You watch all of the geopolitical maneuverings throughout the entire world. We are watching the end of America. Why the end of America? Because God wants the glory. He's not going to let America get the glory. But we watch America going through its own judgment because of its own sins. But what is happening, God is about ready to do something absolutely remarkable. God is is going to bless Israel exactly the way that he says he is going to bless Israel here in the book of Hosea chapter 2. Folks, to me, this is exciting. This, You know what this means? It means Jesus is coming. It means that um, it, it means that we're going to be raptured. It means that, uh, that the day is coming when he is going to be returning at the end of the tribulation period, and he's going to be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. The millennial kingdom's going to begin, and he's going to bless Israel just like he says he's going to bless Israel right here in Hosea, and those people who say God's done with Israel, uh, they haven't read their Bibles. All over the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, God is not done with Israel. I'm excited about the days that we live in. Listen, I want to go to some questions right now. So this is what I'm going to do. 
Um, I have a few questions here. I know I asked a couple of weeks ago for some questions or, or last week for some questions through my Instagram stories. In fact, I want to start doing a lot more of those. So I have some. So I want to be specific to those right now. I have many of those that people have sent in. Um, and uh, so, so let me go through them. I have several here I'm going to answer right now. Okay. Now I'm going to have more of these. By the way, I also answer these on his channel. Hischannel.com uh, has a TV program called Today's Bible Questions. I've been answering some of your questions there. You guys have been emailing me questions. Uh, great questions, by the way. But here's the first one. Are the 144,000 only part of the tribulation or are they part of the whole um, the only part only here for part of the tribulation, excuse me, is what I think they mean, or the whole tribulation. Well, I believe the 144,000 are here for the whole tribulation. Uh, the, the, one of the reasons why is, well, we know they're in the beginning. Uh, we see them in Revelation chapter 7, the 144,000 Jewish virgin men. Uh, we see them in the beginning of the tribulation period. Um, but then in Revelation chapter 14, we are told they are the first fruits of the tribulation. So that would mean, yeah, they're there in the very beginning, the first half of the tribulation. But I also believe that they are there at the end of the tribulation period because we see them in Revelation chapter 14, standing on the Mount of Olives with the Lord Jesus. So Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives when he returns at the end of the tribulation period. So it appears to me the 144,000 are here and kept safe during the entire tribulation period. Uh, this next question comes from Amy. Amy says in 2 Thessalonians, who does God send a strong delusion to? That's a great question, Amy. The strong delusion is to all those who would not receive the love of the truth. In other words, they rejected it. Uh, they didn't want it. So, um, Listen, I, I, and I'll be frank with you. This could be people who currently are involved in a church. Um, and, and it probably involves this... It probably, well, I'm pretty confident it involves this group. Here, here's the problem with it. It appears that they've heard the truth, but they've rejected it. So there's a lot of people in church right now, but they really don't, they really don't believe the Bible. Or a lot of people used to be in church, but they, they've made a conscious decision. Yeah, I like some of the Bible, but I don't really believe, I, I don't really believe these things. I mean, you got to be kidding me. And they've made a conscious decision to reject God's word as being true. Uh, so when somebody starts cherry picking the Bible and saying, well, I believe this part, but not that part. I believe this, but not that. They're already rejecting God's word as being true. God's word being difficult, that's understandable. But God's word being true, they're rejecting it when they're saying, I don't believe this, but I believe that. Um, so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, God says, I'll send a strong delusion uh, upon those who did not receive the love of the truth that they will believe the lie. Um, uh, so we can see a delusion right now. I mean, if you look around, you go, how can people believe some of the things that are going on right now? It seems to me we're obviously being lied to. How can they believe it? But the delusion that's coming in 2 Thessalonians 2 is at the midpoint of the tribulation when Antichrist demands to be worshipped as God. That's also in the context of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He demands to be worshipped as God. The delusion is there, and, and but we're already being prepared uh, to receive delusion. It's like I was watching an, uh, a, 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 a program the other day. And they're talking about how people get hypnotized through TV and through different things that they that come into their their mind. And in that hypnotic state, they become very easy to manipulate, and they will believe pretty much whatever they are told by the government. And it appears we are there. But when you think of Second Thessalonians and the and the delusion that's there, you think, wow, how powerful that is going to be. Um, 
Phoebe asks, would the mark of the beast have to be a permanent DNA change since a tattoo can be removed? Um, there's a quantum dot tattoo that Bill Gates is working on. I can't comment too much on this, on this Phoebe just because this is on YouTube right now. And if I go too far down this path, this will be on a too hot for YouTube program. Um, but I, I, we're, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when those programs are coming up. James Candice and I have several of them coming up probably within the next couple of weeks, being able to deal with those things. Uh, next question, thoughts on Revelation chapter 12, the Revelation chapter 12 sign that was supposedly fulfilled in September of 2017. It wasn't fulfilled. I have absolutely no thoughts on it. I remember I remember telling people, don't pay any attention to this. I said, these these things are nonsense. Listen, there's a lot of things out there and, and the whole Revelation chapter 12 sign from September of 2017. It was totally a terrible interpretation of what Revelation chapter 12 is about. It, Revelation chapter 12 is clearly about the nation of Israel, Jesus the Messiah, and the 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 uh, um, midpoint of the tribulation when the Jews are fleeing to Petra or fleeing for safety uh, and God protects them. But people take it, uh, you know, you have all these different movements to say Revelation chapter 12 means this, 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 and that. Listen, stick with what the Bible actually says. Don't get into these areas of this, this weird spiritualism and symbolism that doesn't that it does not mean. When you read Revelation chapter twelve, it becomes pretty clear. The nation of Israel, you got uh, the stars. Uh, you even have Joseph. You can figure out Joseph from the Old Testament from Revelation chapter twelve and so forth. Uh, next question: Where will we live after the millennial kingdom? Is that when we go to heaven um, after the millennial kingdom? Okay, so right now. If you're a believer, when you die, when you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. So you go into the presence of the Lord, but you don't have your new body. At the rapture, we get our new bodies. All the dead in Christ rise, and we who are alive and remain get caught up together uh, to meet the Lord in the air. So at the time of the rapture, everybody that's a believer in Christ gets a new body. All those who are dead, all those who are caught up. We all get our new bodies at that time. So although when we die now, we're in the presence of the Lord, our spirit is in the presence of the Lord, um, we're still waiting for the bodily resurrection. Okay, so what happens next? Then you go into the millennial kingdom. We're going to have a new body in the millennial kingdom, and it's going to be absolutely remarkable. Okay, uh, but this says, where will we live after the millennial kingdom? Is that when we go to heaven? So right now we go to heaven, to, to whatever heaven it is, we know there's at least three different heavens. We have the first heaven, which is the immediate atmosphere. We have the second heaven, which is the cosmos. And Paul, uh, writing to the Corinthians, was caught up into the third heaven and witnessed things that were too, uh, it says it was unlawful for me to be able to even repeat them. They were so absolutely phenomenal that our imaginations can't even conceive of these things. So in that sense, we're going to heaven now when we die. When we're raptured, we're going to heaven. Uh, then we're coming back to the millennial kingdom. But I think what you're referring to is the new heaven and the new earth. Because at the end of the millennial kingdom, the, the, God's doing away with the whole thing. Jesus is doing away with the whole thing. And there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. Okay, next question. Last one. Please explain the rebellion at the end of the millennial kingdom and what happens after that. Real quick, I just taught this last Sunday morning. Uh, I did a message called Hell and Something Else. Um, Interesting, when you put the uh, hell or heaven in a message title, people don't want to watch it as much for whatever reason. But uh, you can go back there and check it out. 
I went into the descriptions of it. Um, at the, it's the rebellion at the end of the millennial kingdom where Satan is led up out of the bottomless pit. Uh, the unsaved world uh, comes against the Lord Jesus Christ. They try to do away with him. It doesn't work. In fact, like that, Satan is done. He's cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And then you have the great white throne judgment where everybody is judged that does not know the Lord. They're judged according to their sins and according to the books that are open. Um, and uh, so that's what happens at the end of the millennial kingdom. Um, and then after that, we have what the last question at, uh, we have the new heaven and the new earth at the end of all that. If you want more information on that, again, you can go back to my message from last Sunday morning on hell. Listen, thank you, everybody. May the Lord richly bless you and uh, may you have a happy Thanksgiving. God bless. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.